It had more to do with him feeling that he possibly has lost his salvation. And uh, his words were, I do not feel the presence of God in my life anymore. Uh, he began to say, it's been eight months or more. I have continued to seek God, and I don't feel God. I don't feel the presence of God in my life. I can't feel that God is in my life anymore. And, and it was a very troubling phone call for me. We spoke for about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, and I prayed for the gentleman. And, and when I got through, I, I just I thought, Lord, why did you have this gentleman call me? It didn't seem like I had anything out of your word that would, would help him. Uh, he was stuck on that he had lost his salvation, that he had blasphemed the Holy Spirit somehow, and that God had pulled his presence from him, and his words were, I'm slipping into eternity apart from Christ. Very troubling for me. And uh, uh, within a week or so, I, I began to look at the presence of God, and, and, and I just began to, uh, I picked up J.L. Packer's book, Knowing God, and I picked up another one, uh, Take God at His Word, and I, I looked at another study uh, that one of our life teams are doing, and, and, and there, there was a common theme that was running through that, common scriptures that continued to come up over and over and over. I was at home watching TV the other night commercial came on, and it was a commercial uh, about these body scans, all right? Uh, and so it showed this little stick figure of a man walking in what looked like to be a medical environment and, and uh, just jump up on this little medical table. And, and the opening statement on the commercial said, did you know that there are literally thousands of people walking around unaware of what's going on in their body? And that caught my attention, and I, I, I brought it back to where God had had me, and I thought, you know what? I'd been watching other Christians, and I'd been listening to a few things that we as Christians say a lot of times, and other people were saying. I'd been watching how people were living uh, during this time of chaos within our world, and, and I thought to myself, what I heard was, you know, there are literally thousands of Christians walking around unaware of the presence of God in their life. And you think about that for a moment. And you think about it, and you'll know why George Barna and some of his uh, polls that he takes says, you know what, you can't tell the Christian from non-Christians these days. You know, they're, they're, we're supposed to be different. There are things about us that are different. We'll see that here in the text here. But that is the thing that has led me here today to speak to you. And God had led me to Exodus chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I trust that you've brought the Word of God with you. And you will open that to chapter 33 is where we will be looking at our, our text. While you're looking for that, I'll catch you up a little bit on, on what's happened in, in Scripture up to this point. We know that God has called Moses to deliver his people from Egypt, and uh, that was a trick in itself. Uh, Moses had every excuse under the sun why he should not do it, but yet God called him to do it. Moses agreed to do it, and God said, I'll be with you. You don't worry about what to say. I'll tell you what to say. But then we see that... Uh, uh, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. They'd made their way uh, through the desert of Sinai. They'd made their ways to Mount Horeb at this time. And so uh, he was in God's presence there. God was giving him the Ten Commandments, the law of living at this time. And uh, down below was the children of, 
uh, the Israelites down below. They're right at the foot of the mountain there. And uh, I guess they got bored waiting on Moses to come back. Moses was in the presence of God receiving the instructions, and they got bored. He'd been gone a lot longer than what they expected him to or what they, uh, time they, they thought maybe he should have been gone. And uh, I'm sure someone probably said, hey, I know, let's do something. Let's do something different. Somebody had a great idea. Somebody else said, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Let's do that. Another person said, well, let's, let's all get together. We'll do that. Let's take off our rings. Let's take off our jewelry. You know, let's fashion us a God that we can worship and we'll worship unto the Lord. Even Aaron, Aaron took all of this stuff, put it in, melted it down. Uh, the Bible says he fashioned out a calf. He tooled it out. He made this calf that they worshiped and that they sacrificed to. And, and I think that he, he, he tried to stand firm, you know, and he said, you know what we'll do? Uh, we'll just, we'll, we'll worship God. We'll use this to worship the Lord, all right? But this was a, uh, an idol is what this was, all right? But even Aaron, he, he let that happen. And, and they built this, this uh, idol. They worshiped it. They sacrificed to it. And then they had a party. That's basically what happened here. Moses gets the word from God that what was going on down below. Moses comes down. He's very, very angry. He throws the tablets that God had, had inscribed out to him. He throws them at the foot of the mountain there. Then we see Moses go to the entrance of the camp. He stands there before the children of, the, uh, of, of Israel. And he stands in the entrance there and he asks a great question. He, asks, he, says, what, he, he says, who is for the Lord? Come to me. Who is for the Lord? Come to me. Now what a great question that is. If we were asked that today, would we get up from wherever we are? Would we cross the line in the sand to say, I stand with the Lord? Well, we hear that the Levites did that. Uh, scripture says that they railed to him. I'm assuming means they got up and they went straight to him, immediately went to Moses. All right. Here we find out, it says the next day Moses went up, back up the mountain to seek the presence of God again. Why? Because the presence of God is worth seeking, right? That is our first point that we will see here. The presence of God is, not ain't the first point. That's just the first point I'm going to make to you. I'm sorry. God's presence uh, uh, is, is omnipresent. All right, you've heard that word. That word means that God is everywhere, right? There, there, that God is all over. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere we can go to, to, to get away from God, right? There's nowhere that we can go. Uh, I had even read a quote about a smart guy. You may be into philosophy and some other things, but a, a French mathematician, maybe Belise uh, uh, Pascal, I believe his name was. Uh, but what he said was, he said, you know, the center of God is everywhere. His circumference is nowhere. All right, that means, that means God is everywhere. There is no end to God, all right? And, and so God is everywhere. That's omnipresent. And, and so uh, John Piper was asked, what's the difference between God that we know present in our own life, in the here and now, and God being present everywhere? And, and John MacArthur gives a great, big, long uh, uh, answer to that. And, and, and every time I, I read John, McCor I mean, John Piper, he makes my head hurt when I try to follow him uh, sometimes, so I'll shorten it. He just says that uh, being omnipresent is the way that God chose to reveal himself. He used the word express. God expresses himself 
uh, as we see in creation all over. He's in control all over uh, from, from the largest of things to the smallest subnuclear uh, uh, protons or atoms, whatever it is. God is in control, all right? There is nowhere uh, that God isn't. And so us... It is how we experience God, all right? It's the way that we experience God in our life. God makes himself personal to us in our lives. And so we see here that the psalmist, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my beds in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there you are. Your hand will guide me. Your right hand holds me fast. So how do we live in the presence of God? You know, the person who has God in his life has presence with him, right? We as believers have the presence of God. Did not Jesus say that I am with you always? You see, Psalm 1 Talking about uh, uh, us being blessed as believers, Psalm 1 says here, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. And he is like a tree planted by the streams of the water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whether Whatever he does prospers. It starts out by saying, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, blessed is the child, blessed is the teenager, blessed is the person who has God in his life. If we've got God in our lives, we are truly blessed. The word blessed there means happy. We all want to be happy, right? We all are searching for happiness. Well, blessed, blessed has an even greater meaning than happiness. Happiness rises and falls on the circumstances of our life, does it not? So what about completely satisfied? If we're completely satisfied, then we can always have a happiness within us. If we're completely satisfied, uh, the other word could be blissful. All right, so much greater is it than just happiness. Let me tell you, if you are saved this morning, you have God living inside of you. This is something, guys, that we have got to remember all of the time, whatever we're doing. Psalm 16, verse 11 says that you have made known to me the path of life, and in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Let me tell you, isn't that what the world is seeking today? Isn't that what we're all looking for? Fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. This is what you wanted, whether you knew it or not, it's God. You need Jesus in your life. This is what God promises here. When he was speaking with Jacob uh, at one time, Genesis 28, 15 says that I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. What encouragement we need to uh, uh, draw from that, right? God watches over each one of us. Wherever we go, God is with us. His very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. So today we'll look at four things briefly that uh, uh, may keep us aware, aware of the presence of God in our life. All right, first thing, uh, let's look at Exodus chapter 33. If you found that, chapter 33, 1 through 6, 
I'm going to be looking. My scriptures are going to be coming out of the New King, King James Version. Uh, we may have some up here out of uh, NIV or so. Your scriptures may read a little bit different, but you follow along with me, one through six here. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angels before you, and I will drive out all of the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I may consume you along the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. First thing there, sin affects the presence of God. We might choose to say sin lessens. Sin hinders the presence of God in our life. You know, here in the Old Testament, they did not have the Holy Spirit within them the way that we do here, but they had the Holy Spirit the way God chose to reveal himself to them, all right? God chose to manifest himself in ways. God chose him, as John Piper says, a way to express himself to them. For example, he expressed himself to them in their presence, uh, his presence to them in the pillar of smoke. The cloud of fire there. He expressed his way uh, self to Moses in conversation, did he not? When he spoke to Moses, it says, uh, face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. I believe that Moses heard the audible voice of God, all right? You know what? Many of us say, I just wish God would speak to me. It, let me tell you something. If you want to hear the audible voice of God, open your Bible up and read it out loud. You'll hear the voice of God, all right? The Israelites, they had sinned greatly against God. You see here, if you see uh, maybe chapter 32, if you look behind it, verse 32, verse 7, we will see here. Uh, verse 7 of 32 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt. I'm glad that they're Moses' people now, not God's people. He is so upset with them. He's saying, these are the people you brought up, Moses. They've sinned. He says, go down because these people have become, look at that word, corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I have commanded them, and they've made themselves idols, cast in the shape of cast. They've bowed down to them, and they've sacrificed to it. And they said that these are your gods, O Israel, who you brought up out of Egypt. They had sinned greatly against God. And, and, and some of the scriptures, it, it talks about that the, the, the mountain shook violently. All right? The Israelites were convicted of their sin when Moses came back down and stood before them. Look in verse 4. Verse 4 starts out in reading through 5 and 6. It says, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You're a stiff-necked people, and I could come up in your midst, and in a moment I consume you. Therefore, take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do with you. See, they had a change of heart when they heard the news that God was going to pull his presence away. He was going to pull his presence back from them. God is omnipresent. They know where they could go that, that, that God's presence was not. He even said, I'll send my angel up ahead of you. It was a godly being that was there. God's presence would be there in a sense, but he was going to pull back. He was going to pull it away. No longer would they see the cloud. No longer would they see the fire. No longer would they have his promise that he was before them and leading them, all right? They had a change of heart when God said this. 
Listen, we do not see that they had a change of heart over the 3,000 of their brothers and sisters and daughters and mothers and fathers that was slain when Moses sent the Levites up and down through the camp killing the ones that participated in the party. But I'm sure it had an effect upon their lives. But the scripture tells us that they mourned over hearing the bad news that God was going to pull his presence away. You see, there's always consequences to sin. We are blessed as believers. We have the presence of God living in us because of the work of Jesus Christ. I want you to know here this morning that salvation is available for all. And that word all means everybody. No one in the world who is not uh, has an opportunity for salvation for all. Jesus says that he, he, he loved his son. For God so loved the world, and that means the inhabitants, that means the people of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Whosoever believeth on him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Romans 3.23 tells us that we have all sinned against God. That's the very reason God had to sacrifice his son. We are all in the same shape as these Israelites. We sat and listened, and in our mind we said, how dare them? How could they do that? Are you kidding me? God did all those miracles, split the Red Sea, gave them quail, gave them manna, provided water, provided direction, provided protection, and look at what they did to God. Where do you think we stand before God many times? Each and every day. Did you bring a perfectly praise this morning to give to God? It comes out of the heart. If we're lacking, we're standing guilty before God this morning. Even in our praise and worship. We hadn't got far into the day. These guys were just five months. Five months after that. And here's where we find them. God says, wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. Many of them saw that. Ended up resulting in that. There is a sin that leads to death, absolutely. But the death that God talks about is spiritual. We're separated from God. It's a spiritual death. It's a spiritual death. But yet while we're partying, yet while we're right in the middle of our sin, Jesus Christ died for you and me. Romans 5, 8 tells us that. While yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What a blessing. What grace. Romans 9 Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the grace of God. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit of God. We're sealed in him. Guys, that is a blessing for the Lord. We as believers have the Holy Spirit. Sin affects the presence of God. There's consequences to our sin. God's a holy God. 
God's a pure God. He cannot be friends with sin. So when a Christian has sin in his life, when they live a lifestyle of sin, when you have unconfessed sin, it affects the intimacy with God. I can promise you, when you're walking around with sin in your life, uh, the message Eugene Peterson says, if we are cozy with sin, you know, it says that if you have iniquity within your heart, God doesn't hear our prayers. I love that. He said, if you're cozy with sin, that means if we're just okay with it, that means if we just go about our day as normal, God's not okay with that. It affects the intimacy with God. We can be thankful that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. This is one thing I tried to tell that gentleman. I said, listen, why are you calling me? Why, why are you searching for this? Why are you seeking? Because the Holy Spirit has convicted you of a sin in your life, and, and, and you're wanting to know what's wrong, what's happening. We ought to give thanks to God because of that conviction. The Holy Spirit is alive and well in us at that point in time. Don't run from it. Don't push it down. Don't oppress it. But run to God and lay it at God's feet. Listen, we need to confess and repent those sins. We need to get right with God. Confession is where we start with that. I believe in our culture today, we're becoming great at being confessors. All right, we'll pat people on the back when they confess something they've done. Oh, well, good, he confessed it. Now, let's move on. But that does not end there. Confession and repentance goes hand in hand. We need to confess our sins to God, but we need to repent from those sins. And we need to turn from them and go toward God, run to God. You see, they go hand in hand. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, God is faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, if you're not experiencing the presence of God in your life, if you're not aware of the presence of God in your life, maybe you ought to be like the psalmist in Psalm 139 when he says, God, search me. Try me. Find any offensive way in me. When you come before God honestly, when you come before God holy, and, and, and holy meaning all of us, and we ask God to seek us, to try us, to, to, to find out any offensive way, God will bring it to your mind. I can tell you right now, there are some of you in here this morning that God is bringing something up in your life right now that you know it was a sin against God and you need to make right. You need to get before God and you need to lay it down and you need to confess it and you need to repent it. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. Second thing that we see is the presence of God is worth seeking. We see here in chapter 32, verses 30 and 32, it says, the next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. 31 says, Moses went back to the Lord and he said, oh, what a great sin these people's committed. They made of themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive them of their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. You see, Moses immediately went to seek the Lord's presence. I love how Moses said, oh, what a great sin these people committed. You see that he acknowledged his sin. He's confessing that sin. Why? Because God says that was a sin. You know, when God says a sin's a sin, that's it. It settles. It's a sin. You know, the sin of America today or the world today, the sin today is to call a sin a sin. 
We always want to call it something else. God says that's a sin. When God says it's a sin, that's exactly what it is. So he acknowledged it. He's back on the road to, to restoring his relationship with God here. You know, we see an extreme love here from Moses uh, toward these Israelites, don't we? He said, God, I want to trade my life for their future. That's how much he loved them. That's how much he wanted for them to have the promised land. But God graciously refuses that offer. He said, no, you can't do that. He said, oh, I'll blot out the ones that sinned against me. Did you see where he says that? I'll blot them out. Those that have sinned against me, I'll blot them out. And later on, he sent a plague as well. There's consequences to sin, guys. But Moses knew the importance of seeking God's presence. Look in 33, 7 through 10 now. Moses took his tent, he pitched it outside of the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside of the camp. I love that there were more people that were seeking the Lord. For a while, I thought it was just Moses and Joshua that wanted to seek the Lord, that wanted to know God, that had a passion for loving God and living for God, but evidently there's some others. I'm thankful that there are others that didn't have anything to do with that party that was going on. Reading at that party what, what, what was going on that was there, all right? It was a drunken orgy fest. People were out of control. It says that they were corrupt. He, Moses came down and he found people out of control and running wild. It means they broke loose. Very words there are showing their drunkenness and they were naked and they were going crazy. This is God's people. I thank God that there was, uh, there was some that wasn't participating in that. And it said that they wanted to go out and inquire the Lord as well. Verse 8, so it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all of the people rose and each man stood at his tent door watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle and the pillar of cloud descended and it stood at the door of the tabernacle, the Lord talked with Moses. And all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all of the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door. This is where Moses went. God says, set aside of me a place. Call it the tabernacle of meetings. Moses took a tent and put it out there. Scholars said this is not the same tent where they worshiped. This is not the place where they'd go meet together and worship through there. It was a separate place, and God put his presence over there. If you wanted to come out in the presence of God, this is where you would go. And he put it outside of the camp. I don't know why. Maybe it was separate from the way that they were acting, the way that they were living. He wanted to pull it out of the middle of the community, put it out far away, and you had to go out to that because he wouldn't have anything to do with the way that they were acting. I don't know. But the scripture says he put it far out from camp. And yet when the people saw the, uh, the pillar come down, they would stand and they would worship. Where do you go to worship? Where do we go to seek the presence of God? We see in scripture here, each person sought the presence of God from their own individual tents, right? From their individual tents. What were their tents? It was their homes. That was their home. We can seek God from our home, guys. We need to seek God in our homes, from our homes. Our homes need to be the place to where we seek God, especially in the day that we are in right now. 
Our homes have become so much more than they used to be. Used to be just a place of safety. Used to be a place that we could go and and have rest. But our homes have turned into our workplaces, haven't they? Our homes has turned into places where we educate our children. There's so much going on in our homes. Then we have to try to balance our time with our families within our homes. We need to start out the mornings uh, uh, focused on God, worshiping the Lord there in the morning. Why? So that we can surrender that day to Him. No matter what the day brings in that home, it'll be surrendered to the Lord. But listen, we can seek God's presence in so many other places. We can seek God at work. They'll tell us, no, we can't talk about God at work. That don't keep me from seeking the Lord at work, does it? There's nobody can keep you seeking the Lord at work. You can seek Him at work. You can seek Him in your cars. You can listen to that praise and worship music. You can listen to the Word of God on there. You can turn it off and just commune with God there. Talk to God. Pray to God. Listen to the Lord there in the work. I mean, in your car. It doesn't matter where we come out and where we seek God's presence. The the important thing is, is that we seek God. And when we seek God's presence, we encounter God's presence. We can find God when we seek Him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, Moses knew the importance of the presence of God. How much is the presence of God worth to you? Moses puts it like this. He's, Moses chapter, I mean, verse 15, he says, and he said to him, he said, if your presence doesn't go with me, Lord, doesn't bring us up, he said, then I would rather die in this desert than to, with you than to live in the promised land without you. You hear that? Moses understood. Moses knew how valuable the presence of God was. Let me ask you a question. Would you be okay if God gave you your dream home, if God gave you your dream job, if God put you in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, the, the best place you could think about to live? God gave you your good health, took your bad health, traded it for good health. He gave you the job of your dreams. If he, he gave you everything you wanted, everything you ever dreamed of. Would you be happy with that without God's presence there? Something to think about, isn't it? I see people all the time pulling up tent stakes, taking off and leaving for a promise, for something that they don't know is of certain, and taking off and leaving. I see, I see Christians today doing things that I never thought I would ever see them doing. And I just wonder, is this of God? Did God move them? Did God send them on that direction? Or is it just an opportunity? Is it something that I want? Is it something that the world says, you're successful if you've got? You see, the presence of the Lord is something worth seeking. You know the great news about this morning is, is when we seek God, we can find God. We can come to close, close to God as, we want to come to clo- as close as we want to come to Him. That means we can come into His presence here today. You see, Christ died on the cross. Christ died and rose again so that we can come close to God. You look at James chapter 4, verse 8. He tells us, draw near to God, and he will draw near 
to you. How is it that you draw near to God? How is it? I think we can draw near to God, first of all, by trusting Him, placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's the starting point. That's how we draw near to God. When you're convicted that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and you say, God, forgive me of my sins, I trust in you. Let me tell you, God's as close in as he'll ever be to you. By focusing on the name of Jesus, by focusing on him, we need to keep Jesus at the forefront of our minds. I said the moment we wake up, the moment we wake up, we need to remember that God has given us opportunity for this day. God has saved our soul for him and his work. We're to be about his work. Many of us wake up and first thing on our mind is what we have to accomplish that day. We may run off and just leave Jesus sitting. We need to keep our mind focused. God brought this to my mind the other day. I had a granddaughter that had surgery. I don't know, is she here this morning? No, she's not, the only one that's not here. She had her tonsils, adenoids out, so she was at home. Uh, the next day, I believe it may have been, my wife called her. She was speaking with her. She was in the bedroom. She had her own speakerphone or was looking at her. I don't know, FaceTime, but I could hear her. And she said, hi, Manny, hi, Manny, hey, Manny, I feel good, Manny, I've done this, I've ate this, I'm da-da-da-da-da-da, and I was just listening to her voice. And it was so sweet to hear, and I, I wanted to hear her voice. I wanted to hear how she was doing, and I wanted to hear every question. I wanted to hear all that was going on. And the TV all of a sudden said, Hurricane Laura's hit land. Hurricane Laura's done this. I turned my attention. I, I began to watch the hurricane. It was all over for a minute, and I turned back to listen. I didn't hear anything anymore. And I thought, what happened? Where are they at? What's that? She finished the phone call. It was done and over. I didn't hear them say goodbye. I didn't know they'd left. I missed the rest of the phone call. And I thought to myself, exactly, this is what happens. Our mind is on Jesus for just a moment, and something else draws our attention, and we turn it away. And we miss what God has got to say to us. We draw near to God by fellowshipping with Him through Scripture, opening God's Word. Reading God's word. We draw near to God through prayer. We sit before God. We commune with God in prayer. We can draw near to God the way Matthew says. It may be just trusting God. It may be just trusting and loving God. Coming to him as he says a little child comes to him. That's the way we draw near to God. You see when we seek the presence of God it's in prayer it's in His Word, and it's in worship. Worship's the next thing that we'll see here. The presence of God moves us to worship. Look at 33, verse 10, 11, down. It says, uh, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and they worshiped, each at the entrance to their tent. The presence of God moved these people to worship. When God makes His presence known to us, when he makes it presence known in the life of a believer, we ought to be moved to worship. When he meets a need in our life, we need to be moved to worship. When he shows up to meet a need in someone else's life, it ought to move us to worship. When we see God at work, we need to worship. When we see his mercy extended, we need to worship. 
When we recognize God's provisions in our life, we need to worship. Yet many times in our lives, we barely acknowledge it or give God the glory and the credit due, right, to Him. And yet He does it each and every day of our lives. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working unto the Lord. You see, everything that we do can be worshiped to God. The way that we work can be worshiped to God. The way that we love and speak to our children is worship to God. The way that we pay our bills and run our business is worship to God. The way that we use our, our, our talents, time, and treasures is worship to God. The way that we just talk is worship to God. The way that we love our spouses is worship to God. All of these things can be worshiped to God. Verse 13, it says, Now therefore I pray if I have sinned, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, then show me now, Lord, your way, that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider this nation is your people. Moses continues to seek God. Moses continues to worship God. Moses had a passion to truly know God. And when we become aware of our sins and when we restore our fellowship with God, and that's through confession and repentance of that sin, then we seek God and we truly come to know God. And this will lead us to respond in worship. You see the people, you notice what they did they worshiped God when they recognized the presence of God. They worshiped the Lord, didn't they? They worshiped the Lord in their own homes. Listen, we got to be right with God. We got to be right. We're to be right even with the people outside of God, the people of the world. We're to be different. And it starts by us worshiping the Lord. Look, they humbled themselves and they stood and they worshiped. I could see them humbling themselves, whether they were standing or some were kneeling. Some may be face down, prostrate before the, before the Lord. They were worshiping God. Oh, that we could see Jesus that way with our spiritual eyes, just the way they looked up and saw that pillar of smoke, that we with our spiritual eyes could notice and see and be aware of God's presence in and around our lives. I'm telling you, then, then I know that, that our faith would be strengthened and that we would see God more clearly. And I'm certain at that point we would worship the Lord with all of our hearts and with all of our soul. Look, guys, we were created to worship. You and I were created to worship. We worship so many things in this world other than the Lord. Many things. God was on the mountain. The verse 10 commandment says, You shall have no other God before me. Children of Israel was down at the base of the mountain worshiping a golden calf. You don't think God knows when something comes in between you and him? If we're standing in a line waiting on a corny dog, we know when somebody cuts in that line, don't we? We know when they get in between us. God knows when something is there in between you and him. And God says, don't do it. Don't do it. God alone is worthy of our praise and our worship. Psalm 95, 6 says, come let us bow down. Let us worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Look at Psalm 100 when you have time. Write that down. Read that today when you go home. Read it when you are in worship, when you want to worship. Uh, first three verses, shout, to the, shout for the Lord. Uh, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. 
Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with, all, with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We were created to worship with God, to worship God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen, worship can also be just sitting in the presence of God. Have you done that in a while? How long has it been since you just sat still in the presence of God? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God, and that I will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. You just sit in God's presence. There's nothing sweeter than soaking up the presence of God. You know, the disciples was out teaching, proclaiming the word of God, and some of the Pharisees come through and they say, hey, you ought to tell your, you ought to rebuke your disciples. Jesus' reply was, he said, if they kept quiet, the stones would cry out. God's worthy of praise. God's worthy of our worship. We see here in the last point, presence of God reveals his grace. Verse 12 and reading down, then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence doesn't go with me, God, don't bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your, your people and I, from all of the people who are upon the face of the earth. And so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. God's grace. What is grace? God's grace, that's an unmerited favor, isn't it? It's not getting what we deserve. It's a free gift from God. We didn't earn it. It's the goodness of God. What did the Israelites deserve? God said, I want to wipe you off the face of the earth. I want to consume you because of your sin. God's mercy and God's grace. He didn't do that. He extended grace to the children. He told Moses, I want to give you rest. Moses says, I want your presence, Lord. He extended grace. You see, God's goodness is extent to us. God's goodness. Moses goes on to say, he says, show me your glory, Lord. God put him in the crack in the mountain, covered him with his hand and passed by him. And he said, now you're able to look at me on my backside. Scholar says he's looking on his backside. He's looking at him in the way that God goes. And what he was looking at was God's goodness. That's how God goes. He goes in his goodness. He extends us grace. He didn't destroy them. When we seek God's presence, we're met with grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy. And that we may find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we're saved by grace. Ephesians tells us in 2, 8, and 9. For it's by grace that you've been saved. It's through faith. 
this is not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. You see, it's God's grace that saves us. It's God's grace that keeps us. It's God's grace that brings us into salvation. It's God's grace that brings us into His family. It's God's grace that brings us into His presence. Listen, God's grace is not dependent upon my action or your actions. It's not because we were obedient. It's not because that we had tithed. It's not because we became a member of this church or any church. You see, God's grace is given to us because He loves us. It's an outpouring of the goodness of our God. My past and your past isn't relevant to God's grace. Adrian Rogers says, there's nobody too bad that can't be saved. And there's nobody too good that don't need to be saved. It's not dependent on our actions. Our sins will not keep us from receiving grace. God's grace is the outpouring of His love. Grace allows us to be in His presence. Remember reading an article by the name, man by the name of Brian Bill. He was speaking about grace. I'm quoting him, and he says, When we get to heaven, there will be no contest to see who's the most deserving of God's grace because no one deserves it. There'll be only one contest in heaven. When we look back and we see what we were before, when we see the pit from which he rescued us, when we recall how confused we were, when we remember how God reached out and hired us into his family and how he held us in his hand, and when we see Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us, the only contest will be to see which of us will sing the loudest, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was once lost, but now I'm found, and I was blind, but now I see. The presence of God reveals the grace of God. That gentleman kept talking about his feelings, his feelings, his feelings. We talk about feeling the presence of God. Adrian Rogers has a quote, and he says, My salvation does not hinge on my emotions. I've got an official record. I have the Word of God. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. It's in God's Word. It's God's promise. We live by faith, not by feelings, not by sight. We can't follow our hearts, for you know our hearts are deceitful. Guys, there's a discipline required in maintaining this growing relationship with the Lord. And it's by faith, not feelings. You see, as we live on the rail of life, and we've got facts in front of us, and we've got our faith in the middle, and we've got our feelings behind us, and as we walk on that rail of life, we've got to keep our faith looking at the facts. We've got to keep our eyes on the facts in front of us. Anytime we take our eyes off the facts and we look back at the feelings, we'll fall off the edge. Every time. Talking about that hurricane, I remember a story several years ago about a man who was going through a hurricane in Florida. I don't know which one, don't matter. But he was, hurricane was bearing down on the home at that time. Family was inside a closet. 
He was holding the door shut. And he said, I could feel the door trembling and shaking. I could hear the glass breaking. I could feel and hear the roof tearing off of my home. And he said, my whole family was in the, in the closet. And he said, I heard something hit the door. And I heard something scratch on the door. And I heard something outside the door. And he said, I opened the door. I cracked it open. And he said, our family dog just darted in ran in and stood there and he said it got behind me and turned around and he said he's turned there and he had a big ball in his mouth and he just dropped it at my feet and his tail was just a wagon looking at me and he thought you stupid dog what are you doing we're about to die here it is no time to play and he said it was after that that God taught him a lesson that during the hurricane and all that was going on as long as that dog was in the presence of his master hurricane didn't matter at all it doesn't matter what's going on in this world today all that is happening if we stay in the presence of God and aware of the presence of God in our life it don't matter what's going on outside God will carry us through it you may be here this morning what you may need is the presence of God Maybe you need to come to the altar. Maybe you need to confess that sin. Leave it here. There's no sense in carrying anything that nasty and filthy home with you. Leave it here. Maybe, maybe you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Today's your opportunity. I'd love to share with you how you can know. God's Word will share with you how you can know for certain that you're one of His children. John tells us, yet to all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me ask you, is the presence worth seeking? How valuable is it to you? The praise team's going to come and they're going to lead us in a time of invitation. We've got pastors and other church leaders that'll make their way up here. If you need to have prayer, if you want prayer over you, They'll pray with you. They'll introduce you to Jesus. If you need to come, then you come. Don't leave today. You're not promised tomorrow, guys. When we're here seeking the presence of the Lord with all of our heart, He gives us grace. You stand. You come. If you need to come.